0: Welcome to the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon. I am your host, Shane Bacon. We've got a special one for you today. We had a chance to sit down with Butch Harmon at the PGA Show, a part of the Titleist push throughout the show, and uh, just a chance to discuss a lot of stuff with Butch, both um, about the golf he's been he's been a part of, about the the experiences with Titleist that he's been a part of, but of course uh, we ventured into a lot of other to- topics and discussions throughout. So I think it's something you'll really enjoy And so uh, we're going to get to it, but before we do, just a reminder that the all-new Titleist TS2 and TS3 drivers and Ferry Metals were made to give you two options for more speed. The Titleist Golf Club R&D team has found speed from every detail of the driver, and the thing is flying off the shelves. Trust me, I've had it in my bag for a few months. I continue to, to get comments from friends of mine that are saying you're driving the ball as good as you ever have, hitting a lot more fairways and not losing any distance. In fact, I'm actually picking up a couple of yards here and there, which is very, very nice. Trust me, the Titleist TS2 and TS3 Driver in Fairway Woods are something you need to check out and put in your bag. And also, just a reminder that if kicking off 2019 by planning out which roles your business needs to hire for, we want to let you know about ZipRecruiter.com. ZipRecruiter.com slash the clubhouse is where you need to go if you want to hire the right people. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education and experience and actively invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. And this rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners, that's you, can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Clubhouse. If you love the show, show your support to it and go to ZipRecruiter, ZipRecruiter.com slash Clubhouse. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Clubhouse. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, let's get to Butch. We just did like 40 minutes back there, so I think we're uh, we're primed and ready to go. Uh, Butch, I want to start with a really easy question. You've worked with uh, names we all know by one, Tiger, Phil, Davis, Greg, those types of players. How do you tell a king that you're working for in Morocco, how do you tell him what to do and not get fired?
1: Uh, well, actually, I have been fired by all of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> in our business,
1: you've got to realize it's not going to last forever. So, uh, you know, I think because... Uh, I'm very honest in, in my approach with uh, all students, but more so with the uh, tour players. Uh, they've come to me because they want to hear what I have to say, and I, I'll explain to them, this is what I see, this is what I think you need to do. And uh, you know, if they want to do it, fine. If they don't want to do it, that's fine, too. Uh, there's some guys out here that work with a lot of tour players, as I do, and sometimes you have to have the ability to put a thought in their head and make them think it's their idea. Two weeks later, when they come down the road, say, "Hey, why don't we try this? Hey, that's a good idea." Yeah, hey, you idiot! I told you that two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to have that little bit of talent to be able to, because you're dealing with egos. You know, you're dealing with the best players in the world, and they all have an ego. And uh, I know how good they are, and they know how good they are. And you know, we we I've been so fortunate to have been working with the best players in the world. I tell people who come to my academies all the time, I said, "You know, the best thing about you being here." these two or three days, is from now on, every bad shot you hit, you can blame me. And I said, don't feel bad, because I've taken three guys to number one in the world, and two of them fired me, so you're not going to bother me, so don't <laughs> worry about it. Well,
0: you've got a, a very interesting article coming out in Golf Digest I was reading this morning. It comes out in March, and it's about what you've learned, mm-hmm. what you've learned from some of the best players in the world, and I urge everybody to read it. It's great. There's an unbelievable Seve story in there, by the way, that you're going to love. But you, you said, I don't teach golf to people. I teach people to golf, and in return, they teach me back and uh, I just want you to expand a little bit on that because I think it's an interesting approach to the game and I think it's something that for people that are getting into teaching something to really think about
1: well my brothers and I obviously we all learned from my dad who was who was not only a great player one of the masters in 1948 but probably the greatest instructor I've ever been around and his theory was you you there's two ways to teach either teach golf to people or teach people to play golf and my brothers and I have always thought we like to teach people to play golf And what does that mean? That means my belief is, especially with good players, is I don't like to change what they do naturally. I just like to try and make it better. You know, I get asked all the time, why have you never taken Dustin Johnson from that shut position at the top and gotten the club square? I said, well, I could do that, but he couldn't break 80 (laughs) if if we did that. That's just how he swings. That's his natural motion. You know, there's guys that have fast tempos, slow tempos. uh, Everybody's different. Uh, I think that, to me, that's why I don't think that uh, system teaching works. Teach everybody the same way, because nobody's the same. Everybody's a different height, weight, flexibility, strength, uh, and all of these things you have to know when you're going into it. So I think, you know, and, and the more you teach, I mean, I've been, I'm have been i 75 years old. I've been a golf pro for almost 55 years. Uh, the more you teach, the, the more you see things, the better you get at it. And you have to understand, guys, that, My dad had a great saying, and this is so true in life, and it's true in in our business. It's what you learn after you think you know it all. is probably going to be the most important things you learn. So I would encourage all of you to keep an open mind. I mean, I've taught golf my whole life, and I learn something every day when I give a lesson. You know, people think they come to my academy all the time and say, wow, we can't believe in the golf school. You're actually going to teach us. I'm like, well, you're paying for me. You know, I'm (laughs) going to be here. I'm going to show up and work. And... They think that all some of us do is teach tour stars. We spend most of our time with just people like your members, and that's where where we spend our days all day long. So you see all kinds of different swings. Now, I get asked all the time, what's the difference between teaching a tour pro and a a person who's a member at your club? I said, well, first of all, the tour pro, you're dealing with how they make a living. So if you're going to make a change, you better be 100% sure that you're doing the right thing because these men and women have tremendous talents. They can do anything you tell them to do. When you're working with an 18 handicap, if this doesn't work, well, let's try that. If this doesn't work, let's try that. If this doesn't work, let's try that. If this doesn't work, quit golf, you know. (laughs) Just gotta do what you gotta do. Right.
0: (laughs) So Butch, what's the process now for you? I mean, you obviously are very established, been number one in the world uh, teaching-wise. You've worked with, as I've mentioned, some of the greatest names in the world. Do players approach you? Do you approach certain players that you see maybe a little thing here or there on the driving range? What's the process for you to work with a new player?
1: No, I've never approached anybody. uh, Anyone I've ever worked with, they've come to me. I'll tell you a great story about Ricky Fowler. uh, When did Phil win the Open? 2013. We were at Muirfield, and Phil had played a practice round with Ricky, and Ricky was playing just awful. And so he missed the cut, shot a million, and he calls me. On Friday night, he goes, hey, after your guys tee off tomorrow morning and Saturday, any way you could hang on the range with me for a while and watch me hit some balls? I said, yeah, I'd be happy to. I said, you know, i have watch you play forever. I saw you play on Tuesday, and I know you're not playing very good. I'd be happy to. So we go out there. And so he goes, well, what do you think? And so, you know, if you remember Ricky's swing, he used to drag the handle back this way and drop the club way under, and it was all predicated on timing. And so I said, look, here's what I see. I said, you've got to change this takeaway because it, once you drag the club this way, at some point in time in the swing, you've got to get out of this position. Right. And for you, you've always dropped it under with a quick move. I said, but I'm, I'll show you a way that we can get out of that. And I said, that's the first thing I think you need to do. So I made him go to about a waist-high position, stop in the club right there, and then start a swing from there. If you watch him today, if you're watching the tournament in San Diego, you'll see him actually make a long waggle like that and look at it because he hit a 1,000 balls like that. Well, he hit about... Ten or fifteen balls like that. He never got one airborne. Putting the club here and so he literally couldn't get the ball in the air. And he turned to me. And about this time, you know, people saw Ricky Fowler there, and they saw I was giving a I said there was three or four hundred people watching him. And he says to me, "Are you going to make a fool out of me in front of all these people?" I said, "No, I think you already did that with your 36-hole score." I said, "So we need, we need to go to work." And Joe Scarborough. His, his caddy and, and Sammy Mack, his manager, they, they told me the story later on. We looked at each other and go, yeah, we like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you, you, you deal with really great players, they're around yes people all the time. Nobody will tell them no. Well, I've, I've always been, for those of you out there who know me, I'm a pretty straight shooter. If, if I see something's wrong, I've got to tell you that it's wrong. I'm going to tell you why you're doing it wrong, how we're going to fix it, and this is we're going to go ahead and do it. it and a lot of guys are afraid to tell these guys that because they're afraid to get fired. Right. They're afraid to lose their job. Well, ine- inevitably, you're going to get fired. The greatest managers and coaches in, in all sports have been fired. It's just the way it is. And I can remember years ago talking to my dad. He was helping this young guy from Australia. He had he had, had like four or five top 10 finishes in a row. And all of a sudden, he went to see someone else. And I said, Dad, this, why, why would this guy go see someone else? Doesn't that irritate you? He goes, no, not at all. Maybe he thinks he's learned as much as he can learn from me. And a lot of times, I've actually encouraged my players to go listen to someone else, because sometimes you need to hear it a different way. You know, Sometimes your message gets a little stale or something. So for those of you who work with tour players, don't, don't get all upset if they leave you and go to someone else. It's, it's just part of life. It's just the way it's going to be.
0: And, and, and it, it kind of piggybacks on something you told us at dinner the other night. You said one of your favorite players to teach ever. maybe a name that people would be surprised to hear, and it's because he grew up in a different sport than golf, and that, that's Gary Woodland. Gary Woodland is, is one of the
1: guys I, I've had a lot of success with. I love Gary, and Gary went to college on a basketball scholarship, and golf was secondary at that time. He made a good choice not going <laughs> to continue to play basketball, but he loves to be coached because he's grown up playing basketball his whole life, and he's used to a coach saying, look, we're going to set a screen over here. You're going to come off this guy. You're going to get the ball here. You're going to shoot. So he loves to be coached, and he'll just say, just tell me what to do. I'll do it. And, and sometimes you have to watch because you have to temper what you tell him because he's going to go overboard on it and stuff, but he's a joy to be with that way. Uh, a lot of the other guys, uh, you know, they, they get to playing really good, and all of a sudden they – they don't want to listen to what you have to say. And, you know, that's fine, too. I mean, heck, it's their money. They're paying you. They can do whatever
0: they want. But Gary is a guy that's a joy to work with. And, Butch, we talked about tour players that you've worked with. Mm-hmm. What if a newcomer comes to you to work a little bit on their game? Or, or when you used to spend a little bit more time with newcomers, what, what was your tip to people that were coming into the game, something you could tell kind of the audience to get those people interested and maybe to, to find something that they can kind of at least think about simply as they stand over a golf ball? Well,
1: you have to – When you look at an amateur player, for example, not not a tour player, if you're looking at an amateur player and you you have to decide when you're watching him hit balls. I mean, I'll, I'll watch a guy hit balls for five minutes may not say anything. You know he warms up the wedge and then i'll give him a seven iron so i'm just keep hitting some balls i just want to watch what you're doing and before we take him and film him or anything and i'm really just checking out basic fundamentals when i look at him grip posture stance ball position alignment i'm watching his tendencies where do most of his bad shots go right or left and i may ask him a few questions what's your natural ball flight what's this or that and in the in that period of time that four or five minutes i'm formulating a game plan in my mind of what i'm going to do and i like to like in what we do when teaching to, if you went to the doctor and you, you, you got a broken ankle and you got a cut on your arm and you got cancer, well, we're gonna forget about the broken ankle and the cut on your arm, we're gonna fix the damn cancer. So I, I look at, to me, and because I've done this for so long, whatever the big fault is kind of jumps out at me and I see it and that's what we're gonna fix. And I explain to him, okay, this is what I see this is why you do this. This is what we're going to do to change it. And then now we're going to go to work to do it. Then I'll film them and show it to them so they can see what it is. And we're going to stay on this one thing until I get it fixed. Because what you have to understand, gang, when you're teaching is you don't want to fix, fix five things to fix one fault. You want to fix the fault and four or five of the other things will do away with itself. All of a sudden, uh, a position at the top will change because you changed a little bit of a takeaway or... A lot of times it's it's people in bad positions before they start. Think about it this way, gang, for it takes I don't care if you're a tour player, a scratch golfer, or a 36 handicap, there's no reason in the world to have bad fundamentals. Grip, posture, ball position, alignment. It, there's no reason for it. It takes no athletic ability to set up there, and yet everybody who comes to you is just horrendous <laughs> at address. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, where are you aiming? Uh, the range. I said, well, it's hard to miss the range. I mean, you know, if you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it every time. I guarantee you that. So let's start out, give me a target anyway. I said, hell, if you miss my range, I'm going to give you 100 not to take the lesson, okay? <laughs> so I don't have to deal with it for an hour. But, So you, you look, you have this little program in your mind, and you look at it. And, and I've always been gifted that I have a good eye. I see things that I don't know why I see them. I just I see things. And they... They jump out at me, and whatever that is, that's what we're going to go to work on. My wife hates to go to a movie with me because I see every flaw in the movie. <laughs> oh, did you see his tie was this way, and that now it's over? Would you shut up? Did you, <laughs> you see that blue card pass four times in three scenes? Shut up. I'm trying to watch the movie. She goes, why do you see that? I said, I don't know. I don't know why I see it. I said, but it sure helps me in business. Because <laughs> right. I
0: just see stuff. I just, don't be a movie critic. People say to me, me all
1: the time, how did you see that? I said, I don't know. I just saw it. That's what he was doing, and that's what we're going to fix.
0: And, Butch, you use a lot of uh, things from past players oh, yeah. into today's players as well. I mean, will you show them video of a Seve? Oh, yeah. Or show Ricky a video of Seve and say, this is what I want you to kind of do?
1: I have video of everybody I've ever taught. I mean, I've probably taught 50 of the best, 60 of the best players in the world. I have video of their films. Now, you can't get somebody to swing like someone else. In the 10 years I was with Tiger. I mean, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, I want to swing like Tiger Woods, I'd, to long before now. I'd say, look, yeah, hell yeah, I'd like to swing like Tiger Woods, but you've got to get in his body to do it. And so we will look at body types of people or a flaw in someone's swing and show them a person on the film that has a similar body type to them, height and stuff, not that they play like them, and say, look, this is what this guy does at this this position in swing, and I'm going to get you in that position. Now, the, the way I do that, and you guys can learn from this, I make... Everybody, even tour pros, when we make a a radical change in a golf swing to hit balls in slow motion, they'll say, what do you mean? I said, I'll just put a ball on a tee and give them a five iron. I said, I hit this in slow motion, make the full swing (coughs) excuse me in slow motion, and they say, well, why would you do that? I said, because you can do it physically, whatever it is you're trying to get somebody to do in slow motion. They can do it, and so you can film them. The other thing I would, for those of you who film a lot, I would always tell you to film their practice swings. When you're showing them a correction and they make a swing, film the practice swing because golf is a really easy game without a ball. I don't know what the hell happens when that ball goes down there, but our brains go crazy. And, we, and you watch them and you see their practice swing and then you put it up on a dual screen next to the real swing and they go, wow. I said, now here's the good news and the bad news. The good news is you just proved to yourself you can make the swing, and the guy will go, "Yeah, what's the bad news?" That you just proved to yourself you can make the swing. Now we have got to go do it a few thousand times. <laughs> Charles Barkley needs to trademark that. No, don't, don't even
0: give my name and Charles. I'm Barkley not bringing him up. Uh, but Butch, I want to ask, uh, what's the most fun day you've ever had observing as a teacher?
1: Well, I think as, as instructors or teachers, and it doesn't matter whether it's in golf, whether it's in schools or a professor in a uh, university, you love seeing your students get better. You, you love to see the improvement. I get just as much joy out of watching an 18-handicapped break 80 who would never, you know, he was a 90-shooter, and all of a sudden he calls me up and he, he said, I shot 78 today, Pro is the greatest day of my life. I'm happy for him. Now, that doesn't have the financial rewards. Right. The guy went a major championship that I get, and I get a great joy out of that, too. But I, I just love to teach. I mean, it, a lot of you don't know this. I just retired this year from the tour, from doing 23 years of, of television at Sky. And people say, what are you going to do? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And people say, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm just going to teach at home. I mean, I'm always going to teach. I mean, what what the hell am I going to do? Sit around and I've already. Some of of these pictures you saw me up there, I was really heavy at one time. I'm trying to lose all the weight. (laughs) i want to sit around my fat ass and get that fat again. (laughs) Uh, So I I teach. I teach, you know, pretty much who I want to teach. When I want to teach, I do my corporate schools and stuff. And so I'm still very busy. I just got worn out traveling. I mean, 35 years of traveling a tour is a long time. And it just wears you out. And I've I've been so fortunate. Most of the guys that I've had good success with are all really great guys. And it's fun, but it's very stressful too. I mean, it's there's there's a lot more that goes into it. What you see is what a guy does at a tournament. You don't see the weeks of preparation for a major and stuff. So you know, now I just kind of hang out and charge too much money for lessons, and I keep paying it, so I'm all right with that. You
0: know. (laughs) Well, you were telling me that. Uh, when Phil won the Open was one of the more rewarding days of your career. And and you said that, as we all know, you know, Phil struggled on Lynx golf. He he had a really hard time kind of figuring that out, and and you were kind of a big part of uh, helping him. Well, people ask me all
1: the time, uh, what are your favorite wins on the tour, or or your best rounds you've ever seen? I'd say, well, it used to be Greg's 64 at uh, Royal St. George's in 93 when he won the Open Championship. It was a flawless round. I mean, it was a win. Valdo had a one-shot lead going on the last round I shot 67 and a 25 mile an hour win and Norman shot 64 and one and that was the best round I'd ever seen until Phil in, in 2013 the last round he shot uh, at Muirfield was phenomenal on a very difficult day on a very difficult golf course and and I got great pleasure in that and, and the story you're alluding to is I had pounded into Phil's head on how to play links golf because he always played the ball in the air and always played the ball in the air and i finally got to him in 2012, I said, look, you're the most creative player I've ever seen since Sebi Ballesteros. Put the damn ball on the ground. Get it out of the air and put it on the ground. It's Lynx golf. That's how you play it. Use your imagination. Use your creativity. And he finally bought into it, and now he loves playing Lynx golf. And that was a great day. I can remember sitting behind the 18th green at Muirfield. Bones and I were, were sitting together on a little hill. And we were just crying like babies because was such. we were so happy for him because this was a tournament he never thought he could win. You know, for me, uh, I would have said I never thought he could win the U.S. Open, right. which unfortunately he hasn't. But he finished six, second six times, and as bad as he drives it, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because I mean he's the worst driver I've ever worked with. This poor guy. <laughs> some some days, I mean, he could stand on the seashore and couldn't hit the ocean. I mean, that's, <laughs> well, you, that but, that but brings. Not, but, us. but the best part about that is these guys, they have one of the things that Phil has, uh, Dustin Johnson has it, Tiger has it. The last shot never happened right? because you can't go back and play it again. I, I liken them to a cornerback in the NFL that gets beat as many times as he does. And then the last play didn't happen. we got to go again. Well, Phil and TJ and, and especially, the last shot's over with. I mean, and Phil, because where, where he hit the one prior is out in the middle of nowhere somewhere. And he's got to go find it and hit it again. But th- think of all of us in here that play golf. When you're a pretty good player and, and you screw up a hole, three holes later, you're still thinking about it. Well, these guys have the ability to just wash it and it, you i'm not sure you can teach this this is something you can talk about but i've never seen anybody like mickelson i mean he can hit it all over that remember the the us open at Wingfoot when he lost by making double bogey in the last hole that he had a one-shot lead standing on the 72nd hole it was an absolute miracle the guy had hit one fairway any of you have ever played Wingfoot, Wingfoot's hard. The West course is hard. He hit one fairway, well still standing <clears throat> Excuse me, on the last hole with a one-shot lead. So it was a miracle that he even got there with that. Now, he screwed it up the last <laughs> hole. He hit it, which would have been in the 10th hole in the East course. that had a merchandise tent on it over there. And I don't know why he didn't just pitch the ball down the bottom of the hill because he's the best wedge player anyway and make a five and go in a playoff. But, you know, you're trying to win, so you do things a little strange. But it's... It's fun watching these guys. Let me tell you what, it's, it's entertaining. But after 35 years of it, <clears throat> I, I told my wife this. I've never said this publicly, because well, I've been talking about slowing down for the last five years. And finally, I, I did. And she goes, well, what, what finally made you to make the decision? I said, well, I'm not really proud of this, but my shit a giver broke this year. <laughs> and she goes, you what? I said I got where I didn't give a shit about a lot of this stuff, so it's time to walk away from it. I think maybe I'm burnt out or
0: something. <laughs> so you say Phil is the worst driver of the golf ball you've ever seen. Well, for, and I know you're a great player. right? And I know you're you're joking. You told us at dinner the other day what Greg Norman told you one time playing a practice round with a good <laughs> friend of ours and a Titleist ambassador himself. What did uh, what who did Greg call this, out to you?
1: This was at. Uh, <clears throat> This was in the, the year that he won in ninety three. <clears throat> and he played a practice round with Brad Faxon, who we all know. And Faxon's a pretty shitty driver too. <laughs> and so we're playing and after about fourteen holes, Greg and I are walking down the fairway and he had never really played much with Fax and he goes. But how does this guy win anything? He said, he's the worst driver of a golf ball I've ever seen. I said, well, he, he putts pretty good. He goes, yeah, but it takes him a while to get there. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're talking about a guy who's probably the greatest driver that ever lived, Greg Norman. But it was pretty funny. <laughs> and, and they were having a, a, they were, had a bet that day, and Faxon beat him. <laughs> we, were, we were walking down 18th Fairway. I said, uh, did you press because you're, you're down, and Greg? He goes, uh, yeah, I did. I said, guy, how come you're letting this guy beat you? I had not hit a fairway all day. I will not tell you his answer to me. (laughs) It started with an F, though. (laughs) You still work together the next day, which is
0: good. I did want to quiz you on a couple of things, and this brings us to Greg and Dustin and Tiger and all those people. You've worked with, I would say, the best drivers of the golf ball Mm -hmm. to have ever played the game. So, Butch Harmon, who is the best driver of the golf ball that you've ever seen? Uh, With a wooden driver, it was Greg Norman, even better than Ben Hogan, and I grew up
1: watching Ben Hogan because he was my dad's best friend. I played golf with Mr. Hogan starting when I was 16 years old. But Greg Norman with a wooden driver, because he could hit it 300 yards. He could put it in any place in the fairway he needed to play. And when Metalwoods came into thing, he got even better. But so did everybody else. But he, he was far and away the best driver I've ever seen. Best ball striker, Hogan would be the best. Trevino would probably be the next, as far as controlling the ball through the air trajectory-wise and distance.
0: When you look at players today... What's the big difference from a 2019 Tour Pro to maybe somebody that played the Tour in, in the mid-80s, the early 90s? Well, equipment has made the game easier for,
1: for, for everybody, really, but more for great players. And people look at me and they go, what do you mean? I said, well, the best players are going to be the best players. I don't care what kind of equipment you use. They're, they're, you go back to wooden clubs and softball out of balls, the, the best players are still going to be the best players. But what's happened is the lower echelon of guys, the guys that say down from 50th to 100th have gotten better without getting better because equipment got better. The ball doesn't spin as much. The the drivers go further. They don't curve as much. That's why these guys can swing so hard. So I think you see that. You You see the difference in technology. The other thing is we're getting much better athletes that play golf. These guys are athletes. They all work out. They're all in good shape. For those of you who teach a lot of young kids, you're starting to see kids that used to play football, basketball, baseball, they're not playing that. They're playing golf. Is that good? Probably. Uh, Although other sports give you great hand-eye coordination and it's good to play them, but we're seeing the young people get into golf more often and tiger woods is the one made it cool he made it cool to play golf and these kids you look at jordan spieth you look at ricky fowler you can you can throw dj in there you can throw justin thomas in there these guys are all in the game because of tiger woods they were young kids back in, in when tiger turned pro and they all are in this game and superstars today because they idolize this guy uh, if you remember last year at, at some point when tiger came back and playing the guys were always saying, uh, young guys were always saying, God, we wish we could have played against Tiger Woods in, in his prime. And I guess Tiger was doing a press conference somewhere. And somebody asked him that question. And he said, you better watch out what you wish for, boys. <laughs> uh, I'm back. <laughs> and we saw that. We saw that at the yeah. final event of 2018, yeah. playing alongside yeah.
0: Rory and, and took him down. Your family is a very interesting family. I mean, everybody's in the game, teachers, all that stuff. I'm, I can only assume that that's made you a better teacher, but what was it like at home when you guys were coming up? What was, the, what was it like when you guys would have these conversations? Would you discuss technique? Would you discuss ways to teach? Would you critique each other? How was that like? Well, when we were younger, when we were in our teens, you know, everybody thinks that
1: because myself and my brother Craig and Dick and Bill, we were all successful golf pros, that our dad pushed us into being golf. It was the complete opposite. If you didn't want to play, he didn't care if you wanted to play and wanted help he'd help you but if you I I was a pretty good athlete when I was a kid played football basketball and, and sports and and we weren't pushed into the game of golf. I think the reason the four of us got in is we, were, we admired our father so much on how good he was, not only as a player, as a teacher, an innovator. I mean, he was putting logos on shirts before anybody knew about it. Uh, he was filming with old cameras before anybody knew about it. He'd take his elastic belt off and tie it around people for teaching age. The so dad was so far ahead of his time. Uh, we didn't really talk about golf at night, you know, we just watched TV and talk, and, and our dad had a, a strange way of motivating you, he'd beat you up mentally, he would, you know, if you played bad, you know, he'd say, well, you're not any good anyway, so a difference doesn't make, you know, you know <laughs> the story, that he, my brother's like, and my dad liked to tell about me, I think I was like 17 or something, and I'm winning all these junior tournaments, and I think I'm just the catch me out. you know, and I go play bad in a junior tournament. Got mad and broke my driver because I used to have a temper and make a fool out of myself. And I know the pros already called my dad and told him what a jerk his son was today. And so I come home and dad's sitting in the chair. Now Arnold Palmer was my idol when I was a kid. I tried to do everything like Arnold Palmer. And I walk in and dad says, hey, butch, how'd you play? I said, not very good. Dad shot 79. He goes, you know, butch, I don't know why you get so mad. You've never been any good. And I'm like, what? He goes, now, Arnold Palmer, he could get mad. He's good. You're Butch Harmon, you're not any good. Why, why do you get so mad? You know. know. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> and he had a way of pushing all of our buttons. The, the story I love to tell on myself was my rookie year on the tour in 69. I'd missed about four cuts in a row, and I wasn't playing very good. And in those days, we qualified on Monday, we were all rabbits. And, I was in uh, Cleveland, I think. I missed the cut, and I was flying. I got into La- LaGuardia about noon. and I said, Dad, I'm landing in LaGuardia about noon. I can be at Wingfoot about 1.30. got to go to Canada, to Montreal on Sunday evening to try and qualify our money, but I really need you to watch me hit some balls. I'm just playing terrible." He goes, What do you mean? I thought you were leading a tournament. I said, Dad, I missed the cut. He goes, Huh, I must have had the paper upside down. I said, <laughs> <laughs> you know. That's the shit we had to deal with. <laughs> now, you can you can get upset about everything that he said to you, and then he would remind you that he has a green jacket. And then, you know, what are you going to say then?
0: Tough argument. To yeah, make. no,
1: you're not going to win. So you might <laughs> as well just say, yeah, okay, whatever. You
0: you obviously learned a lot from your family. Uh, I mentioned the Golf Digest article, what I've learned. Which player has taunt you the most? about the game that you've worked with over the years?
1: Oh, I've learned from all of them. Uh, this this uh, article he's talking about is in the March issue of Golf Digest. It'll come out the middle of next month. And, and the gist of the article is uh, what I've learned from the best players in the world that I've taught. And I've learned so much from all of them. A lot of it's short game stuff. When you consider I had the opportunity to hang around Sebi Ballesteros so much and Jose Murillo Othabo and Norman, uh, and then Phil at later days. And, and so you learn from all of them, and you take from all of them, you watch what they do. Not, not so much in practice. Watch them when they're in tournaments. Watch how they handle shots, how they hit these shots, how they deal with different s- situations. In watching the short game, you know, Seve was a genius. He had the most beautiful pair of hands. He could do anything with his hands. Uh, Norman didn't get the credit for his short game. He was amazing. Seve and Greg were early wrist cockers like Phil is and then hold. Ola Thobel could probably spin the ball more than anybody I've ever seen. And he was more of a down cock. He would be more this way, and then he could generate the spin underneath it. And I used to watch these guys when they practiced and played, and I'd ask them questions. Well, why do you hit the shot this way? At Ricky, for example, when we're down in, down here in Florida, and we, where he lives down south, and where I go to the Floridian, where I'm a member at and where my son works out of, the, the grass, the Bermuda grass is mowed so tightly around the green. And these pitches into the green are just brutal. You just stick it in the ground every time. Ricky has the most beautiful motion of just using the bounce of the club. And it's like, like he could hit 50 balls and he never even touches the turf. And just uh, in December of, of last year, we were playing in a pro member there. He and I were partners. And I said, I'm so bad at this shot. Come on, give me a lesson. Help me out with this. And he's just showed me how he did it and stuff. And, and I must have spent an hour and a half on the back of our range pitching. And, and Ricky kept coming over. He goes, you're kind of getting this, aren't you? I said, damn, I hope so, because I chunked three of them today. I need to learn how to do this. Ricky's but you, giving you the discount. You, you get to see the best players in the world hit the most phenomenal shots under pressure. And you better be looking at how they're doing it. And you better ask them. Don't be afraid to ask them how they're doing it. I'll tell you a story about when when Tiger was young, when he was an amateur, and when he first turned pro At every major I made sure he played golf with a major champion who had won that particular major. And I said, look, just ask him all the questions you want. They're happy to to help you. And and he was great. He was like a sponge. He'd go. And I said, look, I, I got you. You're playing with Norman and Seve and Oathabels today. Watch their short games at Augusta. Just watch them and ask them questions. They all do it a little different, but learn from that, and he, that's how he did it. Now, he still had to put his own take on it, And so, but for me, my encyclopedia of, of 35 years of being on the tour with the best players in the world, I've got a huge encyclopedia of how these guys did it and stuff, and you use that in your teaching. You can explain to someone that you do it this way, you do it that way. We have a Older gentleman, Don Callahan, who works for me, he's just a wonderful person. Don's about 82 or 3 now, and he teaches our short game, and he loves to tell stories. Well, we get these millennials that don't even know who these old-timers are, and he's <laughs> down there showing some guy how to hit a pitch shot one day, and he, he says, now, oh, Seve used to do it this way, and he's showing him, and one of these young kids goes, who's Seve? <laughs> and I happen to have been down there, and I call it, guy was like, 30 years old. I said, please come, come over here a minute. And I put my arm around him and goes, I said, do you not have any clue who Sebby Palesteros is? He goes, no, not really. I said, all right, get your ass back over there and learn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, wow, really? <laughs> We've
0: well, we mentioned some of the people you've worked with. I wanted to ask, is there a player over the years or even somebody in the past? that you would have loved to work with that you never got a chance to work with?
1: Yeah, I get asked that all the time. There was one, uh, and I don't solicit anything, but Retief Goosen was one that I always wish I had a chance to work with. Now he won two U.S. Opens. He was a great player. But under pressure, he had a flaw in his swing. He hit a lot of pull hooks. And it kept him from winning a lot of other tournaments. And I always wished that I had had just to spend a couple hours with him, because I think I could have explained to him why he did that. And somebody said to me, well, why didn't you tell him? I said, no, it's not my position to go up and tell a great player, hey, look, you know, you're doing this, you should change that. It's a, you know, if he ever asked me for my opinion, I would have been happy to tell
0: him. But that was just... He was one I really thought
1: that I could have helped and made a lot better.
0: Yeah, he got close to winning a few extra majors as well, even yeah. with kind of the, yeah, the flaw you're great. talking was, about. Yeah, a heck of a player. Um, the, the best thing about Tiger when you worked with him, what was the, the most impressive thing about him, maybe his game, his, his mental ability, whatever it was that you feel like made him so much better and really probably, you know, the most dominant player of all time? But he
1: was probably given more natural ability by the good lord than anybody i've ever seen uh, he had a great work work ethic he had a de- tremendous desire to kick your ass i mean it didn't matter whether it was a practice round or he was a junior golfer he just wanted to beat you and he had this burning desire to get good and he was a joy to work with he wanted to learn he he was amazing uh like all good players are a little stubborn so you got to mess with them and get inside their head a little and stuff i can remember Interesting story years ago when the match play was at La Costa. He was struggling, hitting some high fades, and I was, we were working on long irons trying to hit some high fades, and he wasn't getting it, and he was getting a little frustrated. And at the end of this range at La Costa, which wasn't very long, they had this fence. They had an opening out there about 230 or 240 where the ball picker would come in. So I, I said to him, I said, all right, do you see that, that gate down there that's open where the ball picker? is?" So I said, I, I got $100 says you can't hit a ball in there with a fade. So said, I'm going to give you five shots hit the first one right through the door. And then he goes like this. <laughs> I whip out and pay him. Well, it was a cheap, cheap lesson for me because I only spent 100 and got him hit a high fade. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I goaded him into doing it because he wasn't getting it. So there, there's all kinds of little tricks you, you use with these guys to get them to do it. But the fun part about those of us who work with with really good players is the joy of watching them play under pressure. I mean, it, it's for any of you that have that played and are good players in your section. Myself, I played the tour for three years, and uh, I always say I did a great thing for the tour in 71. I left it because I wasn't very good. <laughs> but at least I could stay out there. But I marvel at the ability under such extreme pressure of the shots these guys can hit. I mean, it's fascinating because I've, I've tried to do it. It's not that easy.
0: All right, got to ask, the strangest thing you've ever seen on a golf course?
1: strangest thing wow uh (laughs) i got one for you this this goes back uh when i used to live in iowa in the quad cities in the the 70s a pro club called crow valley and a bunch of us pros would get together and we'd play these money games and uh, we were playing this little course across the river in port byron it was a nine hole course in those days i think they've got 18 now but part 35 pretty easy course and back in those days i could play really well we were playing these guys and I'm just beating them like a drum. I mean, it was like an annuity, you know, if you need four or 500, just call these guys up if you want to play <laughs> and you, and so we were playing, it had rained and I, and I, it was nine hole course. So we just kept going around and we were on like our third nine of the day or something and I hit this ball over in the rough and I'm right behind a tree, but I'm in casual water. So, I said, hey, look, i got to take a drop from casual water. The guy comes over, okay, but you've got to keep the tree in the way. And I said, no, actually, I have to go to my nearest point of relief, wherever that is. And I said, it happens to be this way because the ball's here. would get my relief here. And I, well, that's a bunch of BS. The tree's not in your way. I said, well, you know, it's just I got lucky. And so I hit it on the green made a birdie, which really irritated this guy because I'm killing him anyway. So about three or four holes later, he, he says, uh, I have casual water. He's right up against the tree. I'm going to stand up and show you this. So I I go over there, and he's got this ball I mean, right against the tree. He's got no shot. And he says, I'm in casual water. And I said, no, you're not. He goes, I will be in a minute. And he he just whipped it out and pissed all over his ball. I said, if you can pick it up, you can drop it. Go ahead. That's the damnest thing I've ever seen. I'm like, oh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> Still took them for some dough? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I was like, yeah, oh, well, whatever. It's a new one on me.
0: <laughs> well, before we get to some questions, I, I did want to ask, um, you've been with Titleist for a long time, mm-hmm. and I just wanted you to expand a little bit on your relationship with the brand and how special it's been for you to be an ambassador of Titleist for so many years.
1: Well, for me, I've been in, in this business forever. And there is no company like our company, like Titleist. It's the classiest company in, in golf. I think we make the best equipment in golf. We make definitely the best golf balls in golf. Have been forever. It's the reason we own 60% of the market in selling balls. But more importantly, it's, it's a company that listens to their staff members, all of you out here, most of you are, are Titleist staff members, and, and they listen to what you have to say when you come to these seminars and stuff here. They, they want to hear what you have to say. The beauty of, of our company is we've always tried to get better. Big deal about drivers in the last five or six years. There's, there's Titleist was a company that would, would never take their clubs past the legal limit. They wouldn't even push the bar. They were always a little behind. And there's some of the companies that take it out past the limit. And, you know, it golf is what it is. And, you know, so we we finally said, well, look, maybe we better push these up a little and not, not to make them illegal, but get them right up against the legality of it and start doing a little better. And the driver we have now is as good as anything in the, in the business. All the guys on our tour staff love it. It's, it's a great club. But if you look at The innovations that we've done, you look what Bob Volke's done with wedges, you look what Scotty's done with putters, you look what we've done with the balls, look what we've done with our equipment, there's no company in the world that does it any better than we do, and for me, it's an honor to be part of, of the Titleist family like it is for you people not only do we have i think the best equipment in the game it's the way they treat us how nice they are to us the way they help you with anything you need to do you can talk to your rep and you're having a tournament anyway we get this or that oh yeah sure we'd be happy to take care of you so it's been an honor for me to be involved with this company i mean i love this company Uh, i've been offered a lot more money to go to work for other companies in the past and i said you know it's not always about money it's about loyalty it's about the way people treat you and that's why we're the best.
0: Yeah, and proof in the pudding so far, the Sony Open Titleist, number one across all platforms. Ball, driver, irons, wedges, putter. So first time that I think that's ever been done in the history of Titleist. Mm-hmm. So impressive stuff already in 2019. Well, Butch, we, we really appreciate your time. There is a little known uh, a trick we sometimes do in broadcasting, where somebody will give you a word to say during the broadcast, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to say You didn't say your word today. Well, how am I going to say fiber? And there you go. We got on. it. I mean, you know, that's mean, Butch yeah, Harmon, everybody. Yeah. Thank you guys <laughs> for being here. <clears throat>
1: It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole. It's in the hole.
0: Big thanks to Butch for joining me. Big thanks to Titleist for having us out. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. And we'll have more from the PGA show over the next couple of weeks. So come back. give us a Rate, rate us and give us a review if you love the show. It helps us out. And, uh, you know, we're doing this thing for free, for goodness sakes. And uh, if you saw me at the show, hopefully you grabbed a koozie or a sticker. And if not, make sure you uh, hit us up on Instagram. It's at the clubhouse pod. And let us know you didn't get one. And we'll try to get one out your way. We'll be back next week.